for Pastor Dan comes up. We are in Matthew 6 today. Um, This is on page 811 of the Bible in the back of the seat in front of you. Um, And I will read this for us. This is Matthew 6, starting in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Continuing on to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Chapter 5 is about righteousness against evil intention. But here, starting in chapter 6, there's a break because righteousness is going to be looked at with regards to good works. And for many of us here who have grown up in the church, uh, this point in the, in the story uh, of, the, of, of Matthew chapter 6 should really make us feel uncomfortable. Because it's talking about what does righteousness, true righteousness, look like for a follower of Christ when it comes to good works, good things. But what happens many times is it still doesn't measure up to what Jesus and what the new community that Christ is forming is supposed to look like. And so with that, let's, let's uh, pray and give attention to God's word this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you. And as we uh, continue the good work of looking at your word, we pray that you would give us ears to ear, hear, and eyes to see, to be able to become a community that is not uh, predicated by just our good works, but Lord, one that is informed by the good news of Jesus Christ. So I pray that you would do that for us now as we look uh, at your word this morning. We pray all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So as, as we just heard from the announcements this morning that uh, our youth group is going to be getting together for a karaoke, and we want to invite all our youth to invite your friends. Uh, it's going to be a fun night. But we have an interesting character show up because this Wednesday is Halloween. Now, whoever you are, come over here. 
stop dancing and kind of stand right here. This Wednesday is Halloween, and this strange person, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, um, is going to be going trick-or-treating like this, right? And the whole reason why we go trick-or-treating is what? To be something you're not, right? Well, candy, yes, for sure candy. (laughs) But the other reason is you want to dress up and be something that you aren't. And conventional wisdom tells us that's okay, right? This llama, this piñata llama, (laughs) as it dances, you can do one more dance. (laughs) Yeah, all right. (laughs) You can leave now. Thank you. (laughs) Give give him or her a hand. Some of you might already know who that is. (laughs) But why did this strange fellow come up onto the stage as dressed up in a costume? Well, here's this word that we just read many times in this passage, and it's this word hypocrite. And strangely, you know, in today's time, that word is used in a very negative, derogatory way, right? But back when it was first used, what it meant was an actor, someone who would come on stage and would play a role that was not them, but was accepted. Why? Because it was a play. They were acting. And just like Halloween costume, we're putting on an act to be able to receive candy. But here, Jesus uses that word to make a point. And his point is that you are trying to put on an act that you're passing on that truly isn't you. And he says that is not genuine faith. That is not authentic faith. This display, this this idea that I'm going to pretend like I'm this religious person so that I can be seen and recognized and known, but in private, the real me truly isn't that. And this is what Jesus is trying to butt up against, to say this is a problem. And that's why I've I've titled my sermon today, Authentic Religion. And what Jesus does is he gives this summary statement, verse 1. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. We'll get to this idea of reward. So he makes this blanket summary statement. And then he gives us these three case studies. And if you've gotten your MBA, all you do is case studies, right? These are like your Harvard Business Journal case studies. And he gives three, three that were very pressing in his time. What were they? They were giving, they were praying, and they were fasting. These three ways of practicing their righteousness was one of the quintessential ways of how they were fake. Rather than authentic faith, it was disingenuous. It was fake. And Jesus wants to make this distinction. And, and he wants to make this distinction. If you remember when, we, when I first started this series, what Jesus is doing, he's not saying, well, I'm going to make a comparison for those who pray and those that don't pray. I'm not making a comparison of those that fast 
and those that don't fast. I'm not comparing those that give and those that don't give. Jesus is saying, no, I'm making a distinction between those that give and those that also give, but for the wrong motives. And those that fast. And those that fast for the wrong motives. And those that pray. And those that pray for the wrong motives. You see, the distinction is the motives. It's one of motives. And what I want to do quickly here this morning is look at the context. Then make this comparison of hypocritical faith versus genuine faith, authentic faith. So first, the context. Here what's interesting is that Jesus assumes that all followers of Jesus will do these devotions, these acts of righteousness. It's not an if, right? Look at, <coughs> look at verse 2. It's not, it's, not, it's not if you give to the needy. It's when you give to the needy. Verse 5, it's not if you pray. It's when you pray. Verse 16, it's not if you fast. It's when you fast. And so when we do it for the right reasons, and God is assuming, Jesus is assuming that we would fast, we would pray, we would do these acts of righteousness, that if we do it right, that there will be flourishing. There would be, it would be fruitful and helpful. But if done for the wrong reasons, it will destroy us and kill us. And it's not just religious acts of righteousness. If you are not a follower of Jesus here this morning, I think you can identify as well. Because what you do, whether it's at the workplace, in your neighborhood, your friends, your family, your spouse, your children, why do you do what you do? And here in our Christian faith, our worldview, it gives us something so much more beautiful than just trying to make and prove yourself, to make yourself worthy of people, affirmation or recognition. And Jesus wants to challenge us on that. But here's the context. Look at verse 2. Verse 2, Jesus begins with his first case study of, of uh, giving to the needy. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. What is Jesus talking about? It's really interesting. Reading some of these uh, commentaries, why he kind of says sound no trumpet is because these religious people would come before and to give to their offering, it would be almost like this funnel. Have you ever seen that funnel, kids? You know, you drop a quarter in and it does this, it goes in a circle, circle, and then as it gets closer, it gets really fast and it drops in and then you can't get your money back, right? That, that's what, how almsgiving would happen in the synagogues. It was, it was almost like this funnel shape where you would put your money in and you couldn't reach back in to get it. But what was interesting is like people who were genuine would be able to just drop it in inconspicuously. But for those that wanted to be seen, what they would do is they would start dropping quarters or coin by coin. And it would just continue and it would make loud noises as it would hit the bottom of this tank. And so you were, it's like, when is my giving going to stop? You know, it's like, and it would just continue. And it would be like this trumpet sound, like the sound of a horn. Why? Because they want it to be recognized. Now you go to the next case study in verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. 
And so what here, what Jesus is saying is that there would be all these Pharisees and religious leaders, and public praying was not wrong. We have public praying here. As, our, as John, our elder, just prays on behalf of us as a congregation. But they would, they would pray with very eloquent words. They would pray so loud that everyone would hear, and they would look at them and say, wow, they are an amazing leader. They know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. And they would want to be known and recognized. And what does Jesus say later on in verse 6? Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Other, other translations, it's lock the door. And in every single home back then, you would have one door that had a lock. And that room had all your food. It would have everything that you wanted secure. And what Jesus is saying is, stop praying in the corner of the street. <coughs> stop praying out, out loud and trying to impress other people. Rather, go into that room, that one room in your house, and lock the door so that no one else knows, but it's a prayer between you and the Lord. And then you look at the last one, um, verse 16, with fasting. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. But rather, verse 17, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen <coughs> by others, but by your Father who is in secret. <coughs> Excuse me. They would fast twice a week, Monday and Thursday. And as these religious leaders would fast, they would make themselves look horrible. Why? Because by looking horrible, people would know that they were fasting. And literally the translation is, don't be disfigured, so you can be figured out. So they wanted to look hungry or hangry. And they wanted to look horrible so that everyone would be like, oh, what's wrong? Oh, you must be fasting. Why? So that others would know. And this is what's going on. What Jesus is trying to say here is, look how serious I am. Or what people are saying is, look how serious I am about my righteousness. Look how important this is to me and my acts of righteousness. <coughs> look, how, look at how I sacrifice for God. And what Jesus is saying is that these are hypocrites. They're putting on a show, something that they are not in private, that they're showing to the world in public. And this practice ruins our spiritual righteousness. So then let's look at what, what does hypocritical faith look like? <coughs> hypocritical faith is this. Our motivation is to be seen and praised. It's to be recognized by others. We want to establish our importance. We want people to envy us by what we do and by what we don't do. I mean, Jesus makes it clear, verse 2, that they may be praised by others. Verse 5, that they may be seen by others. Verse 16, that their fasting may be seen by others. I mean, have you ever seen that happen where someone will pray and their prayers are so eloquent and they, you, they, they're just articulate and you just envy them? I do. Like there are certain men in our denomination and, or in our presbytery meetings and when they pray, I'm just like, wow, they must be men of prayer. 
And like this past presbytery on Tuesday that I went to, I got there early because it was our big day for our particularization. And our moderator came up to me and said, hey, do you mind praying, opening us up in prayer? And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to. Because it also works the other way, right? It's not just with our eloquence and our amazing abilities and our acts of righteousness that we want to put on show. It works all the other way where I'm not a good public prayer. And so what will people think of me? And so I'm stressing for like five minutes before uh, Presbytery's call to order, what am I going to say? What will make me sound really good? Right? Or I don't want to pray, I don't want to pray, I don't want to pray because I'm going to feel so stupid. I'm gonna, people are going to judge me. And here, it's all about wanting to be seen or praised. You know, it works in other ways too. Like, I'm supposed to do all the dishes. You know, I'm supposed to clean and do that. And sometimes I'm not good at it. Or a lot of times I forget and don't do it. But there are times where I'm doing it. But he said my wife is in the bedroom. And I know she's supposed to come out at some point, but she's taking forever. So what do I do? I go really slow. You know, I'm just rinsing that plate for a long time. Why? Because I want her to come out and see me and go, oh, he's doing it. You know, there's so many different things that we do. It could be even work, right? And, And wanting to be people who seem so busy. This ties in not only to spiritual aspects, but also just our day to day. My in-laws were just in town this week, and me, being a pastor, I want to prove to them, and I want them to know that I am so busy. I will make up fake appointments. I'll call people, hey, do you want me to come over? (laughs) So that when I leave at 8 p.m., they're like, oh, he is a busy pastor. Why? Because my in-laws, my sister-in-laws married very successful men who are always busy, who are always traveling. And I don't want them to think of me as a lazy pastor. And I'm not, hopefully. (laughs) But these are the things that we do. We want people to recognize us. We want people to praise us. We want people to see us. And Martin Lloyd-Jones makes the point that it's not just about people's approval and wanting their recognition. It's more than that. He says it's actually about ourselves. He says this. He says, Ultimately, our only reason for pleasing men around us is that we may please ourselves. Our real desire is not to please others as such. We want to please them because we know that that if we do, they will think better of us. In other words, we are pleasing ourselves and are merely concerned about self-gratification. You see, it's about us. We want to be God. We want to be number one. And if people like us, if people recognize us, if people praise us, it only feeds us more. But here's the thing. It leaves us completely empty. Completely empty. If you guys have seen The Greatest Showman, it's the only movie that my family has seen at the movie theater more than once. And there is a scene in that movie that stopped me in my tracks because this is my story. I want to be, I want people to like me. I want to be seen. I want to be recognized. And in this scene, there's this woman named Jenny Lind. Not Jenny Lind, Jenny Lind or Jenny Lind. Jenny Lind. And she is this amazing singer from Europe. And P.T. Barnum 
invites her on this tour to America to sing across the nation. And at the first uh, stop, accolades, like she gets this amazing standing ovation that doesn't stop. And afterwards, there's an after party. And P.T. Barnum and Jenny Lind are in this conversation. And Jenny Lind talks about how she was born out of wedlock and that she was, uh, that brought shame on her family and how that has never felt, that has made her feel like she has never fit into her family and into a community. And then she says this, she says, I sometimes don't feel like I belong here. And life always manages to remind me that I don't deserve a place in this world. And that leaves a hole that no ovation can ever fill. It leaves a hole that no ovation can ever fill. This was a woman who had the most amazing voice that got standing ovation city after city. And yet, it could not fill the void that she was looking for. It screams of the emptiness and the deep desire for belonging that we all desire. We long to be seen. We long to be heard. We long to be understood. And we have this hole that no ovation or no praise from any person can ever fill. This is Hollywood telling us this. You know, I thought about ovation and Scott Saul's, as he reflected on preaching, he used this illustration. And it's true of me. Say this morning I preached the greatest sermon ever. All of you. It's unanimous. The greatest sermon ever preached. And at the end, after I say amen, all of you rise. And you start giving me a standing ovation. You're clapping. And it doesn't stop. It continues. And it continues forever. Well, not forever. But until you slowly all pass away. <laughs> so you just stay here because it was the greatest sermon ever preached in the entire world. And you're just clapping. But one by one, whether it's age heart attack, just standing for so long, <laughs> out of complete exhaustion, one by one you guys start collapsing and dying. Well, that thunderous applause becomes what? A half-filled auditorium of claps to one day where there's only one person left, whoever that might be in this room, and that person passes away. And what was Scott Saul trying to say? It is finite. We all pass away. I will not be known. You will not be known one day in this world. And when we long for the applause and recognition and the ovations of people, wanting to be seen by them, it leaves us lacking. Why? Because people will forget you. People will hate you, right? You'll get in conflicts. You'll say something, you'll do something, relationships change, things will happen. And the craving to be known and seen will leave you empty. Jenny Lind, in her song that she sings, she says this, all the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we, see, we steal from the night sky will never be enough, never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little these hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. Never be enough. So how do we know if our faith is authentic or hypocritical? 
Well, here's a couple of questions that I have for us. Do you only pray in public, but your prayer life is little to none? We have a lot of seminarians. Are you so consumed with books and writing papers and studying for exams, but your own personal devotion is absent? Then that applies to our leadership as well. Here's one for our children, for our teenagers, or even some adults here actually. Do you always post on Snapchat and Instagram selfies or photos that draw attention to yourself? Do you serve or help love people so well at church or at your workplace or your neighborhood, but, you're, but you're, your reputation in your home or by your friends or by even your children are horrible? See, this is what Jesus is getting at. These acts of righteousness where we put on that llama pinata, Showing the world something that is truly not who we are in private. So what do we do? What's our hope? What's here in this authentic faith that Jesus gives us? Whereas hypocritical faith is motivated by self, an authentic faith is motivated by absolute love for God. In other words, it's either going to be love for self, right, which we just looked at, or it's going it's, it's to be love for God. And this is the point Jesus is trying to make to his followers. Look at this, verse 3. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And let your giving be in secret. Shut the door and pray to your father in secret. In verse 6, verse 18. Fast so it's only seen by your father who is in secret. The point is that authentic faith is that soul is... It only cares for the audience of one. Think about how many times Father is used in this passage. It's striking. Because when I think about my children, when from the time that they were the youngest to even today, you know what they always say, the three words that are always said to me at the worst times possible? Look at me. Daddy, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Watch me. Watch me, right? Why? Because all they care is about my affirmation, my recognition. They want my approval. Right? Just uh, last week, I don't know why schools do this. Schools just decide to shut down and not have, have school on a Friday. So one day I had to bring Nora, my youngest, to work. And Jenny Lynn can attest to this. She kept coming into the office going, Dad, look at my drawing. Dad, look at this drawing. Oh, Dad, look, I spelled some words. Dad, look at this. Look at that. I was just like, oh, my gosh. This is the worst idea. Why did I bring her here? <laughs> you know, I love her. But our children want our, the father's approval and recognition. And here's my point. Why do we long for the audience of people that has to be earned? Never enough, empty, finite, when we have the audience of one who has already first loved us and really the only one that matters. Why do we go craving, searching, trying to earn people's love and affirmation and ovation when we already have the one who has first loved us where no earning, no works is required? He longs for us to come to him. 
when you're slaving at work, trying to win the approval of your boss, trying to become something big and be recognized in this city. We have the love and affirmation from our God. I grew up in a home, especially amongst Asian American culture or Asian culture, you are actually like, they want to like slap you silly of any pride possible. So they want to humble you. If you give any sort of, want any sort of affirmation or approval, they'll like slam you down. That was my parents. They spanked it out of me. Where it was, it's really false humility. Garrison Keillor um, wrote this book called The Last Wobegon Days, or Lake Wobegon Days. And he talks about some of that growing up in Minnesota. And this is, what he write, this is what he says. For fear of what it might do to me, you, and he's speaking of his parents, you never paid me a compliment. And when other people did, you beat it away from me with a stick. He's certainly looking nice and grown up. Well, he'd look a lot nicer if he did something about his skin. That's wonderful that he got that job. Yeah, well, we'll see how long it lasts. You train me so well, I now perform this service for myself. I deflect every kind word directed to me, and my denials are much more extravagant than the praise. Good speech. Oh, it was way too long. I didn't know what I was talking about. I, I was just blathering on and on. I was glad when it was over. I do this under the impression that it is humility, a becoming quality in a person. Actually, I'm starved for a good word. That's what we're talking about. I'm starved for a good word. Good isn't enough. Under this thin veneer of modesty lies a monster of greed. I drive away every faint praise, beating my little chest, waiting to be named Sun God, King of America, Idol of Millions, Bringer of Fire, the Great Haji, Thunder, the Boy Giant. I don't want to say, thanks, glad you liked it. I want to say, rise, my people, remove your faces from the carpet, stand, look me in the face. You see, why I read this to you is because Jesus does not remove our need to be noticed. Jesus does not remove our need to be seen and praised. He just redirects who the focus of our noticing should be. It's not other people, it's only God. When it's other people, they can't live up to the job because they're not God. And when we try to do it ourselves and give ourselves praise, we realize we're not God. God's the audience. God's the one who rewards. So at baptism, right, at, at Jesus' baptism, what does God say to Jesus, his son? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And that's true of every single one of us who have been baptized. Those words are for you. This whole part of um, chapter 6, it's all of the singular you. Chapter 5, it's plural you, you all. But in, in chapter 6, it's you specifically. I am pleased in you is what God is saying to all who are baptized in Christ this morning. And when we come to the table this morning, when he says, this is my body broken for you, this is my blood shed for you, it's not a general for you all, it's a specific you. He absolutely loves 
you. He is pleased with you. Why? Because we are in Christ. We are in our Savior. And nothing can change the affection that God has for us. So why do we strive trying to find adoration and accolades and applause and ovations from everyone around us when the one who absolutely matters, the creator of this universe, says, with you, I am well pleased. That is the good news. That is the good news of the gospel. And that's why we need this table this morning. So many times, I am after your praise. And here, what's so sweet for me is that Jesus is telling me, he loves me. I have already won the applause from the heavenly father. He died for me. His body was broken. His blood was shed for me and for you. So stop trying to find the ovations that your hole will never fill. But come to the table. Rejoice and believe this morning that you are dearly loved. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for our Savior who came into this world to die for us because of your love for us. Even when the worst is known about each and every single one of us, love was still offered here at the table so that we might fellowship with you. So Lord, I pray for every single individual in this room that they would feel the presence of our Savior. They would know the love of God and they would be able to fellowship here, knowing that wherever they go, to their workplaces, to their families, to their parents, to their friendships in the high school and in college, Lord, that we might stop trying to find the approval of men. But Lord, we might be able to love others because genuinely because of the love that you have shown us. May that be true of us here this morning. We pray all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to the